0: Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of brambling wrecks.
1: Cool. All right. Last time we talked about buying Bitcoin and uh, we got into crypto and Bitcoin. Um, So today we're going to talk about storing Bitcoin and various ways to do that and what we've seen. Uh, But first, we're going to talk a little bit about some news. Uh, Jason,
0: what you got? Yeah, so the news is not very exciting if you start looking at what's going on in crypto. Um, some of the positive news that I've seen here recently, um, there's a couple of coins by cities. So Miami Coin and New York City Coin have, up. I think Miami Coin is now at $25 million in their coffers and New York City Coin is at $30 million. So it's it's interesting that there's still cities that are investing in their own coins to benefit um their perspective regions. And then one of the other interesting pieces that I did see, even though crypto is somewhat crashing, um, OpenSea, which is all about NFTs, just had their largest month ever, um, and there's still a whole week left. So uh, there is a lot of functionality going on in the crypto space, even with the prices of a lot of these coins dropping down.
1: Cool. Uh, the one thing that I came across this week, and it may be because I'm doing some Bitcoin mining and the algorithm knows it because, <laughs> because of what I'm texting about and talking about. So it's sending me more uh, news about it. But Intel is jumping into the crypto uh, mining chip world, which is pretty fascinating because the quote from the guy from Intel, some like chief engineering guy for this group said, Well, yeah, you don't need to use those kinds of like GPUs and those chips. That's wildly inefficient for for cracking a cryptographic code. Like, we just use these, we'll just use these chips. We'll make them. They'll be low voltage, like super low voltage. And uh, they've already got their first contract established that has uh, access to the first 25% of their chips they make through 2025. So, you know, these mining companies, uh, you know, they've been doing some really long term investments into the mining space. A lot of public companies that are borrowing or raising raising cash at buying mining rigs and getting to work on mining Bitcoin. Um, so it's kind of fascinating because we've been on this ASIC mining train for years, and if Intel jumps in and says, "Oh, we've got uh, an Apple that works way better than your dumb oranges," and uh, they would really change some things, which is great. Um, you know, mining's probably best done widely distributed and not centralized so this could be a pretty good move for uh
0: for bitcoin mining that's super interesting the only thing you have to worry about with intel is at what point they say oh, we're not going to do this anymore and they just shut it all down so <laughs> that's true but at
1: that point somebody else will pick it up and you know the cat's out of the bag on on yeah. chips or whatever so that's the funny thing about bitcoin everybody talks about things like well however it is today well when bitcoin's uh 10 times as big they're going to be using 10 times as much energy and they're going to have uh, 10 times the transaction costs. And it's like, no guys, that's, that's not how it's worked in the past. It's not how it's going to work in the future, but people are stuck, man. They can't, they can't foresee like the dynamic changes that happen in technology.
0: Yeah, it it is. uh, It is going very fast right now. It is hard to keep up for sure. Well, cool.
1: Well, uh, going from mining to what we're going to talk about this week, um, in storing your bitcoin uh the first thing i'd like to talk about kind of similar to last week you got to figure out who you are and how you're going to store bitcoin um there's there's really two main principal schools of thought you've got your self-custody i have the confidence to to hold these these cryptocurrencies or bitcoin on hardware in in my possession maintain my private keys um have a backup that I can depend on that, that isn't going to fall through. Um, that's one, one side. The other side is, you know what? I'm not that technical. I'm not that confident in this stuff. I'm going to leave it on an exchange or I'm going to deposit it into like a crypto bank type of strategy. Um, that adds a third party risk that is counter to the original Bitcoin and crypto narrative. Uh, but for new people that are just jumping in, it feels a lot more normal. It feels a lot like, oh, I'm logging into my Wells Fargo or my Chase account and I can see my balance and they handle it all. And I have a, a username and password and, and, and I'm comfortable with that. So when you're talking about buying and storing Bitcoin, you need to figure out where you're comfortable. Um, I think over time, most people are going to start in, in the third party custody side. And then, as their values and portfolios grow, uh, they may start to to put some in the safe, right? Put put, put some in the vault in the in hardware storage. Um, so that's that's the big main thought process you need to go through first. And then, uh, so I've used uh, I've got a Trezor and a Ledger Nano S to uh, to store my Bitcoin. I've got it's one of those things you learn how to use it on YouTube. Uh, Like a lot of this Bitcoin education stuff is it's Twitter and YouTube. Um, But essentially what you're doing is, is storing private keys on a hardware device so that you uh, aren't having to, to, to track it, keep track, keep up with it on paper, have to type it in, things like that. Um, It's actually pretty easy to use once you've used it once it's super nerve wracking to send Bitcoin the first time. Uh, So when you buy it on an exchange and transfer it in that there's a lot of uncertainty there and and that stinks. And then there's a time period where the blocks are being mined and your transaction hasn't gone through and you haven't had multiple confirmations that you need in order to transfer the coin. So that's a little bit of a a headache and a challenge. Um, But once, once you've got it, what I do is I have it on my, Hardware wallet, and I store those and keep those, and I have them backed up with my seed phrases. I have seed phrase, my seed phrases stored in a way that's separate from my hardware. Like if something goes weird, I, I can back up my wallets. Um, but I also have uh, an, a, a wallet on my phone, and I have a, like a read-only wallet, so I can just see and make sure the balances in my hardware wallets are maintained so that there's no weird stuff where somebody, somebody hacks my, uh, account or something, you know, not that that really could happen, but for peace of mind, I can just, uh, just look at my accounts and look at my different wallet addresses and make sure that the right, uh, the right Bitcoin amounts in each one. So it's a little bit of peace of mind without having to plug in my hardware again.
0: So is that ledger live or what is that read only wallet?
1: Uh, I use blue wallet. Um, uh, a buddy of mine recommended it. Uh, that's what he used because he's in the same boat. Where it's like, yeah, it's cool. I feel really good that it's on the hardware wallet. But in order for me to just double check, like, you know, sometimes you log into your your checking account uh, to check something real quick, and you're like, oh, okay, like peace of mind. Yeah, well, that's about what I'm supposed to have in my checking account. Um, it's the same deal. Like if I'm if I'm just like, yeah, you know, it's been a while, and <laughs> that uh that wallet, I don't, I haven't looked at it in a while. I just pull it up, everything's there,
0: and then I'm good. Well, I think the other big advantage to that is it provides an air gap to what you're doing, right? So it's a USB dongle that plugs in, and to make that transaction, you actually have to press a button on that device. So um, theoretically, if it's not plugged in, there can be no transaction done, which is a, a huge deal, right?
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's super secure, but, it, uh, you know, there's like a human nature side and a technology side. And like, you know if you had a bunch of gold in a vault every once in a while, you'd open it up and just like put your eyes on it. Okay. It's still there. Close the vault, lock it back up. Uh, so it's kind of the same way for me. Like every once in a while, I just want to make sure everything's still there.
0: Yeah, no, I, um I, I have both of those as well. And I would say I'd go the opposite direction where I put it scattered it across exchanges and other wallets because I'm screwed up and not and lost my uh, passphrase, my recovery keys on one of them and I can't get Uh, into one of my coins. So um, it's definitely something that it makes sense to use, but it's not the first thing you want to try when you're getting into crypto, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, the first thing, you know, you can store things on exchanges, right? So you log, like we talked about last week, you log into the exchange, put your U.S. dollars in, uh, exchange it for crypto, and then you just let it sit there. Um, And then, of course, there's all these other like online banks or crypto banks uh, wh- that'll give you interest, pay you interest for these things. Um, I've used uh, BlockFi primarily for that. Um, so I'm early on a year, I'm about a year into my BlockFi experience. Uh, the first several months, it was 5% for Bitcoin up to your first whole Bitcoin. And then they've walked it down and lowered the rates. And, you know, as they're, financial situation uh changes so now i've started pulling pulling currency currencies and bitcoin off of my BlockFi account because the rates are just i mean it's 0.1 percent like this it's not really worth the risk of block something happened to BlockFi or them getting regulated and me not paying attention uh mainly i mean the only time i've ever had a bad experience with an exchange or something like like Binance got outlawed in the United States and I didn't pull stuff off. I just wasn't paying much attention. And so I still have some stuff on Binance that I could only reach like if I travel internationally or I use a VPN or go through like a a process to convince the system that I'm not residing in the United States. Uh, So it's leaving stuff on exchanges and things like that. I feel like there's always some kind of weird risk. I know BlockFi had an issue with New Jersey New Jersey didn't like how they were doing things and their regulators cracked down on them. And I, I, it's just a little bit of risk that I, I'm not willing to take for 0.1%, uh, four or 5%. Like
0: that's pretty solid. I can, I can, I can handle that. Um, it, it seems like BlockFi and a lot of the other guys, I mean, so I use BlockFi too. I use Celsius and, and uh, Nexo. Um, they, they have these teaser rates, right? Exactly what you're talking about where it's, it's 5%, but it's only for the first like 0.01 Bitcoin. And then after that, it drops to almost nothing. So you, you really have to kind of look at the, the fine print and somewhat stay on track on top of it to see how things change. Because most of their interest rates, if they're not weekly, they're monthly. So they're they're constantly changing. And the values that they're getting back to you is is going to be changing. So Blackfly used to be what, two Bitcoin, up to two Bitcoin, right? And now it's down to almost nothing. Um, Celsius is I think a little bit better, but even like the, some of the exchanges like Voyager. So I, I've turned into a huge fan of Voyager because they're given like four and a half percent back up to, oh man, it's, it's like 10 Bitcoin or it, it's, it's quite a bit. So That's a lot. yeah, it, it, it's, it's really good. Um, and it's, I mean, there's a third party risk, like you said, right? So it depends on how risky you are or risk adverse you are and it's probably not a bad idea to spread out whatever you have across a bunch of different things so that you don't lose everything in case something's compromised because even coinbase gets hacked <laughs> yeah. right? just kind of, of the biggest guy out there yeah and
1: one more thing to add um when it's time to withdraw funds from Blockfi, like Blockfi at one point cut it down so that it was the maximum was one bitcoin and it cut it to 0.5 bitcoin so I pulled a half of Bitcoin off and in, normally I'm used to Bitcoin transactions taking 30 minutes to an hour to confirm and everything's settled. But BlockFi has like a multi-day withdrawal time period because they have to kind of unwind or have some Bitcoin come loose because they're lending out the Bitcoin and they, you know, it's Bitcoin, right? So you can't send IOUs. You have to send actual Bitcoin. So they have like a grace period of a few days where they, uh, receive Bitcoin payments back from these loans. And then that frees up Bitcoin. So they kick it out to you. So again, it's one of those things when it's on a hardware wallet, that's your Bitcoin, you know, your keys, your, your coin. And then when you put it on BlockFi and it's uh, not yours anymore, they're blending it out and they're doing things. So there is a, there is a bit of a, a payment uh, of a few days that you've got to make in order to unwind that deal you made with BlockFi to to hold your Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, but I think the big thing here is gaining interest on the crypto that you're holding. And when probably you and I went very a very long time when we got into crypto without gaining extra interest on these cryptos that we were holding. And it's it's nice to get something, right? Granted, it's four four or five percent a lot of times, um, but that's still a lot more than getting zero percent. Uh, so there is some advantage to that. The other intriguing things that you can really do is start staking your coins on the networks that they're a part of. So Ethereum has E2, which I'm not a huge fan of because it locks it up forever. Um, but you have things like Cardano, where if you're staking in the Cardano network, you're actually keeping custody of your coins the entire time and just delegating your voting rights to one of the, the node uh participants, right? So the, the node vendor shows actually making voting on what the network is going to be doing. So you're going to get rewards for that. And you're never actually giving up your 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 tokens. So it's pretty safe there. So there, there's a lot of that um, that happens in crypto. The problem is now you're having to do some sort of crypto wallet that is typically blockchain specific. I mean, there are some wallets that go across lots of different blockchains, but if you're going to do Cosmos, you're probably going to do Kepler or Cosmos Station. If you're going to do um, uh, who are the other ones? Uh, if you're going to do Solana, you probably want Phantom, right? So uh, if you do the Phantom Network, you probably want their own wallet. <laughs> so, There's just so many out there, but you can get 10, 15% APYs, right? And sometimes even more, depending on some of the smaller coins. So it's it can be very beneficial if you believe in those projects and you think that they're going to continue to go up, and you get some extra added bonus on on the side.
1: Yeah, and I, like I do it in a real simple way. Like I have some some altcoin positions. Uh, Kraken will stake for you. Essentially, you just transfer the coin or the the value onto Kraken. Click the stake button. Pick how much you're going to stake. Now, the way it works, they are staking for you. You're you're kind of locking your coins up to the Kraken network. They stake, which is probably a better way to do it because if you if you believe in Kraken as a, a, a reputable exchange and a reputable source, you would want them to have more staking rights and have more influence on the network. So, I'm not a big proof of stake guy, um, but at least that makes sense so that people are picking. So if you have a bad actor, people will unstake their, their cryptocurrency and move to places that are, that are acting more appropriately so that the proof of stake concept will, you know, will benefit the network better. Uh, So it motivates people to to act right. Um, But, and it's way simple, man. Like it's not like you have to have different wallets, different this, but you're trusting Kraken to not screw up and lose your stuff or crash or, you know, be unavailable to withdraw funds or any of those things that uh, that, that these exchanges and, and third parties typically have these kind of problems. But it's real easy, man. It's just like transferring from exchange to exchange or exchange to a wallet. It goes in, it pops up on your account. There's a little button you click to stake. You stake it and then every couple of days or whenever whatever the protocol uh, rewards stakers um, you, it pops up on your account and it just adds in. And then you're like compound interest staking uh, from that point
0: forward. I think they do twice a week on Kraken. So that, that's also who, who I use. Um, Voyager does a great job with, with Polkadot too. You just have to have a minimum amount held there over the, over the month. And they only pay once per month, usually like five days after the, the month ends. So um, Kraken is definitely in that compa- it compounds the most the fastest, I mean,
1: Well, cool. Well, um, I think that we've covered storage and the different things that I have real experience with. Um, So I think we'll wrap up here and we'll look forward to next week.
0: Yeah, sounds great.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Al.
0: Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group on Crypto. It's a small community discussing new ideas, and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.